are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, this evening we are returning to the book of Leviticus. So I invite you to turn there with me to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25, it should be on page 103 of our Pew Bibles. So we've said over and over, Leviticus is to teach Israel how to approach God, how a sinful people can can approach a holy God, and then how they can commune with him, how they can walk with God, what it looks like in an ongoing way to live in the presence of a gracious and holy, redeeming God. We've seen daily and weekly, and we'll see now annual reminders of God's blessings and presence with his people. And particularly tonight, we're going to look at the Jubilee celebration, this celebration once every 50 years that Israel celebrated. So let's read now God's word. We will look at Leviticus 25, beginning in verse 8 through verse 23. Hear now the word of the Lord. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. When you shall sound, then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. When each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan, that 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it, you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat of the produce of the field. In this year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his property. And if you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not wrong one another. You shall pay your neighbor according to the number of years after the Jubilee. And he shall sell you according to the number of years for crops. If the years are many, you shall increase the price. And if the years are few, you shall reduce the price. For it is the number of the crops that he is selling to you. You shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God. For I am the Lord your God. Therefore, you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them, and then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, if we shall not sow or gather in our crops? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year, when its crop arrives. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. We come to another celebration that Israel was called to observe. We're in this section of Leviticus that's talking about all the feasts and all the celebrations for Israel to observe. And we come to one more this evening, and it will be the last one that we consider. I believe we only have two more sermons after this, and we'll, we'll conclude the book. So this is the last festival, the last celebration. And through these three chapters, chapters 
23, 24, and 25, we've seen a repetition of the number seven. It's happened over and over. It's being a number that represents wholeness and completion and rest. We saw in Leviticus 23, one day in seven is set apart for the Sabbath of rest and worship. The seventh month of the year is the most sacred of all the months because it has the highest holy celebrations of the year. Leviticus 23, verses 23 to 44. Leviticus 24, verses 1 through 9, we saw there are seven lamps in the holy place of the tabernacle and later the temple. And the bread inside the tabernacle was changed every seven days, showing God's rest that he's giving to his people who are in his presence and representing the renewal and refreshment of God's presence and the Sabbath every week. And then in Leviticus 25, we didn't read this, but verses one through seven speaks of a seventh year is a Sabbath year for the land. It's a year of rest for the land. And here we come to the Sabbath of Sabbath years. After seven Sabbath years, we come now to this 50th year of celebration, of rest for the land. This year of Jubilee is an earthly picture for Israel, but also for us of a heavenly rest, a picture of heavenly rest and to, and it's, it's to help us grow in our joy and our anticipation of heaven. So we're gonna consider this text in three headings this evening. The first is the observance of the year of Jubilee. Second, the significance for Israel. And third, the significance for us. So let's look at the observance. What did it look like to observe the year of Jubilee? Well, as we've said, it's the 50th year. After seven sevens, after 49 years, the 50th year is set apart. This 50th year of celebration, this 50th year of letting the land lay fallow. There's no sowing, there's no reaping, there's no harvesting as there would be on regular years. The land was to rest, but this comes after the 49th year, which is itself a Sabbath year for the land to lay fallow. And so there are now two years in a row, year 70, uh, 49 and year 50 are years of rest for the land. And so this year of Jubilee is more than though just rest for the land. Something else happens. There's no additional celebrations. There's no additional feasts. But what happens here is there is a legal release that happens. A legal release so the crops gathered on the, the planted in the 58th year and harvested in the 58th year would be used in the 50 or sorry the 48th year would sustain Israel for the 49th year and the 50th year. So for 3 years this one crop would sustain God's people. The the trumpets would blow on the day of atonement to tell all of Israel that the year of jubilee has arrived. And actually our English word jubilee is it really comes from the Hebrew word here used for jubilee. When it's translated jubilee, it's this Hebrew word yobel. And you can see how that now comes into English as jubel, jubilee. And so we're really getting a, a form of a transliteration from the Hebrew. And again, there were not additional ceremonies, but there are these legal releases that happened on this year of jubilee. There are two primary, primary ones. The first one was that all property was returned to the original owner that was given the property when Israel entered the promised land. God gave, God divvied up the land among the tribes and to individual clans and to individual families when they came into Israel. 
You read Joshua is chapter after chapter of painstaking detail of who gets what part of the land of Israel. And why is that important? Because every 50th year that comes back to the original owners, the original family gets that original land. Any land that had been purchased was effectively a lease up to 50 years, a lease for the crops that could be grown on that for, again, until the next year of Jubilee. And we read that in our passage, that it's basically a lease and it's only up until the next year of Jubilee that you could lease the land. If it's a longer amount of time, the lease was for, four, was for more money. If it's a shorter amount of time, the lease was for less money. So all the land returned back to the original owners that God gave when they entered the land of Israel. So that was the first release was property. You returned to your homeland. The second one was Israelite servants were set free. We see in verse 10, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land. Proclaiming liberty to all people. As these trumpets were blown, it was a, uh, an acknowledgement of liberty, a pronouncement that all Israelite servants were set free. Your bondage was over because Israelite servitude was really a debt servitude. If you got to a point where you couldn't grow your own crops, if you were in debt, you would then enter a debt servitude to whoever you owed money to. And this debt servitude, though, reset every 50 years. You were released on the year of Jubilee. If an Israelite found himself in hard times, he might have to give up his land. He might have to move into somebody else's land and become a servant because he could no longer provide for himself. But what the glorious thing was, was that no longer ended your line of property for your family. Your heritage was not wiped out because after 50 years, the Lord graciously allowed you to move back to the property originally given to your family. It wasn't the end of your family line or your legacy. What a gracious provision that God is not just providing freedom for servants, but he's providing them now a means to work with their hands and a means for them to provide for their families, even if they didn't have the economic resources before to do that. So this is what the year of Jubilee consisted of. Living off of whatever would grow wildly, living off of what you had stored up, and then being released, moving back to your homeland, being free from servitude. It's a year of release, a year of joy. So that is how the year of Jubilee was observed. What was the significance of this for Israel? Well, the first one is this. It teaches us, as we see in verse 23, the land is God's land. I'll read verse 23 again. The land shall be not sold in perpetuity for the land is mine. God is making a claim over the land, over the holy land, the land of Israel, the land God promised to give to his people. This is my land. You are only sojourners. You are pilgrims. This is not yours. Ultimately, this is my land. And I'm letting you live in my land with my presence as my people. It's given to his people to be enjoyed. It's not given to them primarily to be an economic enterprise, but for enjoyment of God as God's dwelling with them in God's holy land. It was not about competition and amassing more land and wealth. It's about enjoying what God's given and glorifying God through it. And there's an objection, a natural objection that will rise from this, is how could Israel actually live for two years without planting crops? I mean, this is a death sentence for people who lived by the land, who relied on the land and their crops every year for sustenance. 
But God specifically addresses that in verses 19 through 21. God promises Israel, look, it's going to be an act of faith to trust me, but you must trust me. I will give you everything you need in that sixth year, which is the sixth year of the seventh year of seven. So in year 48, I will give you everything you need for the year 48, year 49, and year 50. You will not go hungry. I will provide for you. God will provide abundant rain that year. He'll provide abundant crops. He will command my blessing on you in that sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. God was going to give an abundance that they could live off of the abundance and they didn't have to work the field those two years. What years of rest, trusting God, practically taking steps to trust him. It is an act of faith to not plant crops. Can you imagine if you have a a family of multiple children, is this a death sentence for my family if I don't plant crops? How terrifying that might be for a father and a mother to not plant crops as God has commanded. But it was an invitation to trust God, to rest in God. Oh, how little, how, how, how people of little faith we are when we have one day in seven and it's hard enough for us to not put our hand to the plow on that seventh day, one day a week. But God asked them for two whole years in a row, trust me, I will provide, rest and enjoy me. Enjoy my salvation, what I've given to you. So the significance is the land is God. God will provide. The other significance is this. The people are God's. And this comes later in the chapter, uh, chapter 25, verse 42. God says this, For they, the people of Israel, are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. So God, the same way he makes the claim over the land, the land is mine, the people are mine. You are my people, people for my possession, for my heritage. And because of this, their servitude comes to an end. Now, it wasn't um, unheard of in this time period for ancient Near East rulers to every now and then make a proclamation. All slaves are free. But it was arbitrary. You didn't know when it was coming. If it was a, a generous king, maybe it would be more often than not. If it was a less generous king, maybe you wouldn't get it in your lifetime. But God told Israel, once in a generation, this is going to happen. Every single generation, I will set all of the Israelite slaves free. Servitude comes to an end. The worst situations, the worst economic situations that families found themselves in would be rectified in a generation. You are not setting it up, setting up your family for generation of, after generation of poverty. God was giving them release. Servitude comes to an end because they are God's people. He would not allow servitude to continue generation after generation of, of Israelites. It must come to an end in the year of Jubilee. So for Israel, this reminded them all they have is from God. Their land, their land is from God. They are themselves God's people. There's a historical question that people often ask. Did Israel actually ever observe the year of Jubilee? Because we don't have a record of it anywhere in scripture. And we know very clearly from extra biblical sources, we know uh, very confidently, I should say, that they never observed it after the exile, after they returned to Israel after being exiled in Babylon. So the question is, before the exile, did they ever observe it? There's no record of it in scripture or outside of scripture. 
So we don't know. Now, that's not enough to say they didn't because there's no explicit statement that they observed the Day of Atonement in a year. They probably did. So did they observe the day or the, the, the year of Jubilee? We don't know. It's hard to know. It's impossible to know at this point. But the question remains, did they? But even if they didn't know, for the good Jewish boy and girl who grew up hearing God's word, hearing God's law, they would grow up hearing this year by year and grow in an expectation, grow in an anticipation. Maybe they were a family that was in poverty, who their family found themselves in hard financial situations, and they were functionally in slavery. And this this family, a father may be teaching his children, son, daughter, one day the year of Jubilee is coming. One day we will be released. One day we will return to our homeland. What gracious provision God has given. There's a building anticipation, a longing for it. After years of hardship, years of debt, there's always light for God's people on the horizon. Hope was coming within a generation. So the significance for Israel, we're bound up in some of these things. So let's conclude thinking of the significance for us. What does this mean for us? As we look back on this ancient practice that maybe they never practiced, we don't know. What is the importance of this for us? Well, first, I think we must say this is not a guide for civil law today. This is not a a statement of how government should work today. Because I think what we see here is it's best described as an intrusion of the realities of life in heaven onto life on earth. Israel was an intrusion of heavenly ethics, of a heavenly way of living, of heavenly realities into this world and for a particular time and space. It's something like a little snow globe, a little snow globe maybe with the skyline of New York City in it. It's a little representation, a little picture, a little foretaste of what it's going to be like when you go and look at and see Manhattan for yourself. These are little pictures of what heaven's going to be like, unique to this time of ancient Israel. So it's not for us to implement today in the same way, but it was a picture for Israel to be yearning for the new heavens and new earth. And as we look back on this time, we also get to look forward to the new heavens and new earth to say this is We get a tiny snow globe picture. How much greater will the real thing be? We see that the land is God's, that we are yearning for, for the new heavens and the new earth, where we can live with him, where he is the center of his people. The land will be God's and it will be the place where righteousness dwells forever and ever. And we look forward to that new heavens and new earth where all of the people are God's where there's no bondage, there's no slavery to sin or to others, no slavery of any kind, but pure freedom. Can you imagine that? Pure freedom to live and to glorify God. No longer marred with sin, you can pursue the glory of God without hindrance. You can perfectly glorify God and enjoy him forever. I think it's interesting, Isaiah in chapter 61 speaks of the fulfillment of this year of Jubilee. He's looking forward and and saying this year of Jubilee is just that snow globe. It's not the real thing. He's looking forward. And we read earlier of Jesus quoting that same language from Isaiah 61. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Do you hear that? Proclaim good news to the poor. Speaking of the year of Jubilee. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty. That comes directly from verse 10, to proclaim liberty to the captives. The year of Jubilee is upon us. To recover, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of Jubilee is what Isaiah is speaking of, what Jesus is speaking of. And what does Jesus say as soon as he reads this? This has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm the one who's coming to usher in the year of Jubilee. I'm the one who now will deliver you from bondage and will bring the new heavens and the new earth, the place where righteousness dwells here on earth. The year of Jubilee is here, is what Jesus was proclaiming. So when Jesus says, as he did in Mark 1.15, the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying, Essentially, the year of Jubilee is dawning. Blow the trumpets, prepare the people for the kingdom of God. The year of Jubilee is upon us. Where we are released from bondage and debt, ultimately from sin itself, and given a place to dwell with God. And we don't celebrate the year of Jubilee anymore. Like all of these ceremonial laws, we don't celebrate them because Christ himself has fulfilled it. And we're kind of in this already reality, but not yet reality of experiencing the year of Jubilee. We look forward to it because Christ has accomplished everything necessary. We're just awaiting his return to consummate it all. We yearn for it. We yearn for the, the consummation of the year of Jubilee even more than than the Israelites did. They had that tiny snow globe looking forward, but we have Christ himself. They had, to sell their, they had to sell their homesteads and to even go into servitude when there was unpaid debts. And they yearned for that year of Jubilee. But we yearn for it because we come into our eternal home with the redeemed land that will be ours where God will be at the center and we can worship and adore him forever. I hate to say this, but one of my least favorite songs in the whole world is the song Days of Elijah. Now, if you like it, I'm not offended. That's okay. But I just don't understand the song at all. It doesn't make any sense. The verses are wildly and terribly confusing. Maybe you can explain it to me. Danny has already tried and it hasn't worked, but maybe you can. But the song does get one thing right. And that's the chorus. It says this, behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call. Lift your voice. It's the year of Jubilee. And out of Zion's hills, salvation calls. The trumpet calls. The the year of Jubilee is here. We're awaiting Christ's return. Oh, brothers, sisters, may Christ return quickly. May this grow our hearts and increase in joy and anticipation as we wait our Savior riding on the clouds. The trumpet calls. The year of Jubilee is here. Oh, we cannot wait for such a day. Oh, may Christ come quickly for his saints. Let's look to him. In prayer. Oh, Father, we pray that we can enter this jubilee rest and Christ come quickly. But as he tarries, oh, Father, we pray that more would be drawn to him to see the joy of this year, this jubilee year, the joy of heavenly rest, a rest that we cannot enter into on our own because we are dead and our trespasses and sins apart from Christ. So may we look to Christ along with this entire earth. May you be working your great salvation as Christ tarries until he comes again. 
Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus, we ask. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.